0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. And that today's sole focus is just upon what our focus is every week. At church, and that is the fact that we do serve a risen Savior. And today we're going to kind of explore the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you a question today as we kind of get started. The question is what is your response to the resurrection? What is your response to the resurrection? Take your Bible and go to John chapter 19, if you will, and we will be there in just a couple of minutes in John chapter 19. You ever noticed how different people have different responses to the same situation? You ever noticed that? Maybe those of you that are parents or at work, you have a situation come up and you just watch as people just act differently about that situation. A few months ago, or about a month ago, uh, we had to fly to San Diego. I was speaking at a conference down there. And so the whole family went, we were going to sing down there a little bit at the conference as well. And so we're sitting at the airport, Monday morning, our flight left at about 10.30, 10.45 in the morning, and we got there, it was probably about 8.45, 9 o'clock when we got to the terminal, and we were sitting at our gate, ready to wait, uh, wait, ready to board our plane and head out. And as we were sitting there, um, a plane began to deboard. People began to get off of a plane. But what was different about this than normal? I mean, usually people get off a plane, they go to baggage claim, they're off, they're done. But they, these people exited, and they all came to the terminal, and they started forming lines, and they started congregating, and they started sitting down, and they weren't leaving. And I thought, oh man, they were supposed to take off. And so after a few minutes, a fellow comes, and he sits next to me, and we had a, a discussion about this, but I'll give you the quick story. Their plane was supposed to leave at 5.40 that morning. It was 9.40, four hours later. I said, well, where where were you guys going? The guy said, well, we were supposed to be in Denver. We're actually supposed to be, uh, well, my connecting flight's leaving right now. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. And I remember sitting there as what the story was. They had got on their plane at five five o'clock, supposed to leave at 5.40. After being on that plane for an hour, there was mechanical issues. They had to get off of that plane, get a new plane, got on that plane, and then uh, the employees were over hours because they had done an overnight flight, and so they had to find a new crew. They couldn't find a new crew. They canceled the entire flight. Talk about a bummer. If you've ever traveled and that's happened to you, You know, it's just not a fun thing. So here's these people, and I watched. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you people watch, be honest? You people watch, yeah? You know what I'm talking about? You just sit somewhere, you just watch people, and you laugh, and then you think to yourself, (laughs) I would never do that. I was sitting there watching people and here's these lines of people and I'm watching as someone walks up to the counter and begins banging their fist and saying, do you know who I am? I need to get to my destination and begins just berating this young lady that's behind the counter. And I'm sitting there thinking, bro, you're on Southwest Airlines flying out of Spokane. You ain't nobody. Like, let's just be honest, you know, and I'm thinking that. And then uh, there's other people congregating and they're talking with each other and they're complaining. And then the guy next to me, you know, he's like, hey, honey, I'm I'm not gonna make it home today. Uh, here's the story, here's the situation, but it's okay. You know, I talked to one fellow, he knew I was a pastor and he was, I said, man, that stinks, your plane getting delayed like that. And he was like, no, I, I see it as an answer to prayer. And I was like, you're just saying that because you know I'm a pastor. That's the only reason you're saying that. Man, you know what? People respond differently to the same situation. I sat back down, and my kids are all like, man, what would we do? What would we do if our, if our plane canceled? What would we do if... And they begin talking about what they would do if their plane got canceled. You know, a lot of us, we, uh, we know what we would do until we actually have that experience. It's like parenting. Everybody is an excellent parent before you have kids. <laughs> right? You can tell everybody how they parent wrong. Like I remember with my sisters, I would tell them how they were wrong as parents. And I would be like, you are doing this wrong. And I I remember my one sister, Dawn, I mean, I'd tell her all the time. And then we had three kids, five years old and under. And I remembered when she, when I wasn't a parent and she was, she would say, just wait till you have kids. Well, when we had three kids, five years old and under, I went back to my sister and I said, I don't say this often, but I'm sorry. You were right. Man, you're a professional parent until you have kids. What makes the difference? Personal experience. You know, today we come and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate what he did upon the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The fact that he is risen again, that he is alive. And while there are some here today that say, yes, I have reason to celebrate. There may be others that say, what's the big deal? What's all of this about? And what makes the difference is personal experience. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever personally experienced Jesus Christ? Because your response to the resurrection will be dictated by that personal experience. And today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in the passage. We're going to look at John 19 and John 20 at a very familiar portion of scripture, the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to see some responses of people, people who some of them knew that Jesus was supposed to be raised from the dead, and yet they didn't believe. And we're gonna see their response. We're gonna look at their response before believing, and then we're gonna look at their response after believing. And we're going to see the difference is the personal experience. John chapter 19, we're going to be here this morning. If you would stand with me, John 19, beginning in verse number 16. I'm just going to read some verses. You can look at them on your Bible or on the screen, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into the passage this morning. John 19, verse 16 to 19, it says this, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. So Pontius Pilate delivers Jesus to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, he went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two others with him, one on either side, on either side one. And Jesus in the midst or in the middle. And Pilate, he wrote a title. And he put on the cross in the writing of the Jews... Or excuse me, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The crucifixion of Jesus is something that many know about. The resurrection is something that many believe they know about. But the personal experience of Jesus is something you have to know about. And today when we look at the resurrection, I'm going to ask you, based upon your personal experience, what is your response to the resurrection? Or really, what should our response be? Let's pray. We'll get right in the message and hear from God this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take a minute and just in the quietness of the moment in your own heart, would you pray and ask God to speak into your life today? Dear Lord, we come before you this morning and we pray that as we go through the passage that you would help us. I pray for those with us online today that you would help them to be able to uh, listen and Lord, receive what you have for them. I pray for each one of us that are present here today, God, that you'd speak into our lives. Help us to see what our response should be based upon the resurrection. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. So in John 19, we come to the story of Jesus being nailed to the cross. Of course, we need to know that a lot has taken place before the moment that we just read in John 19. As a matter of fact, Jesus, on this night, he was arrested. He was falsely accused and, of course, brought before the Sanhedrin and brought into what we would call a a kangaroo court, a fake court, where he would uh, be called upon and judged upon things that he had not done, which they, they called blasphemy. Well, what were they doing? They were saying, You claim to be the Christ, and you are not the Christ. You claim to be God, but you are not God. And yet, the evidence and the proof of Jesus, of who Jesus was, it really was staring these people back in the face, and yet many of them chose not to believe it. If you actually look to the story, you would find that Jesus had compiled at this time an absolutely indisputable resume through his teaching, his knowledge, his wisdom, his miracles. And through his life, really, it would be impossible to state that Jesus was anything except for who he claimed to be. You see, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. He claimed to be God's only begotten son. He claimed to be 100% perfect. He claimed to be the Messiah that was sent for the entire world. And the truth is today that Jesus proved all of those claims to be 100% true. But they didn't believe him, so they arrested him. They conjured up lies and misrepresentations of him. And then they would beat him profusely and scourge him. They would mock him. They would spit upon him. They would rip his beard from his face and beat him again and again and again, literally until he was unrecognizable as a human being. And so then they took him and they nailed him to a cross. So here he is hanging on the cross. What we just read in John 19, on that cross, he spoke many words. He spoke to one of the thieves that was one of the uh, gentlemen that was on the side of him, nailed to another cross. That man believed upon Jesus and Jesus spoke the words to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus spoke from the cross. He spoke to one of his followers, a man by the name of John, and he committed to John, his mom, hey, John, I'm dying, take care of my mom as I leave, uh, would be how maybe we would term that. But then Jesus spoke some incredible words. John 19, chapter 19, verse number 30, records some words that Jesus spoke just before he died, and those words were this, it is finished. It is finished. Well, what is he saying is finished? Well, the work that Jesus came to do, the Bible is very clear. Jesus did not come to die for his sin. Jesus came to die for your sin and my sin. Let's just be honest about sin this morning. I say it here often. You don't have to teach people. You don't have to teach a kid how to sin. I never taught my children how to lie, and yet they're a bunch of little liars. Hey, I never, you, you, you never had to be taught how to sin. Sorry, guys. I mean, I mean it, but I'm sorry. <clears throat> you didn't have to be taught how to sin. Why? Because we are all born sinners, and Jesus knew that, and that is exactly why Jesus came. He came, and he lived a perfect life, and he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled what was demanded of uh, what would be demanded of us. Jesus fulfilled that, and when he died upon the cross, the entire reason he was dying was for you and for me. It was for your sin and for my sin. Isaiah would actually write it, prophesy it this way, that he would be bruised for our transgressions, or he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Hey, the entire reason Jesus came was to die for you. Paul would say this, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein God hath made us accepted in the beloved, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. The fact is today that Jesus Christ came so that you and I could have forgiveness and would be offered forgiveness. And when he was dying upon the cross and when he said those words, it is finished and then bowed his head and died. The reason he was saying it is finished is because it is paid. Your sin debt and my sin debt is paid. He took the blame. He took the the punishment of our sin. He took the judgment of our sin. All of that was placed upon Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. Why? Because of his love for you because he loved you, because he loves me. But he didn't stay dead. You see, if he would have stayed dead, then Jesus would have just been another crazy religious fanatic. But he didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Why did he raise from the dead? He rose from the dead to prove who he was. Here's what happened at the resurrection. John chapter 20 and verse number one. It says, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. When it was yet dark under the sepulchre, and she seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and he came, they came to the sepulchre. They both ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. So that's John. He didn't go in. Then come a Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher. And he saw the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple. Which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went again unto their own home. Matthew records it this way In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, the guards, they did shake, they became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. And Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and then go quickly and and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him. Lo, I have told you, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher, from the tomb, with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. So here's the resurrection story being recorded or told to us by John, by Matthew, We know, and we don't have time to do all of the research, but you can go, and I would encourage you to do a little study on your own. The the disciples or the followers of Jesus, when Jesus was alive, Jesus taught them that he would raise again from the dead. There's a few places in scripture where Jesus spoke to them about his life after death. But the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they didn't connect the dots, They were like kids sometimes. You know how your kids are? Well, you know how all kids, you know how you were when you were a kid? Mom would say something, you would hear it, but you wouldn't listen to it. Remember that? And mom would say, hey, 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 are you listening to me? Yeah, mom, I heard you. No, 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 I'm not asking, did you hear me? I'm asking, are you listening to me? Is it clicking? Is it, my mom never had to say that to me growing up. I was perfect and my sisters are not here to tell me otherwise, but no, I was that kid. My mom would say, I don't want you just to hear me. I want you to listen. Well, the disciples, they had heard that Jesus would raise again, but they hadn't really listened to it. They hadn't really connected it. And so here's what we're going to discover today. The resurrection, it happened. A few of them even saw angels. But what we're going to see is their response to the resurrection before seeing the resurrected Christ again, before having a personal experience. Because when we have personal experience, response will change. Notice first with me today, there was a response of fear. Again, we we don't have the time to read all of the chapters. You can go home later. You could read John chapter 13 through 21. And then you could go and you could read um, Matthew chapters 26, 27, 28. You could read Mark chapter 15 and 16. And then you can read in the book of Luke chapters 22 to 24. And you'll see all of what we're talking about today. The response of fear. There were some that after Jesus After they found out Jesus had risen from the grave or so so they had heard that, that their response is to be fearful. If you were to travel in our passage in John 20 a little bit further, you would find verse number 19. It says this, At the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of Jews, for fear of the Jews. Here's what took place. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified by the religious leaders of the Jewish Sanhedrin. These would be the people uh, that everybody would kind of look to to have the the knowledge about the Messiah. Well, here's a man claiming to be Messiah and they thought he wasn't the Messiah and so they have him crucified. Well, now, that morning, let's go, that, that morning you had heard Jesus is risen from the dead, but you haven't seen him yet and where do we find many of the followers? Well, they're in that upper room. Well, why are they in the upper room? Why is the door locked behind them? The phrase doors were shut with the disciples. That means those doors were were shut. They were locked. They perhaps were even barricaded. Why were the disciples in there? I mean, Jesus is alive. Well, up until this point, many of them hadn't seen him yet. And it says that they were there for fear of the Jews. What does that mean? They're thinking the Jews are coming after them next. Next. Their, their response to the resurrection is a response of fear. I see, secondly, the response of sadness. The response of sadness. Now, I, I've tried as I studied this week and I thought through these responses and looked in the passage and see these, try to put myself in the place of the followers of Jesus. No doubt they would be sad. But they're sad. They, they've they heard Jesus has risen from the dead. But if you go and you read John 20, verse number 11, Mary, she stood without the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. She doesn't know where is where is Jesus. They don't know what is going on. They don't know all of the answers. We find... A little bit later, if you were to go to Luke 24, there's some followers of Jesus that are traveling from uh, where they were in Jerusalem. They're traveling to Emmaus. They're on the road to Emmaus, and they have this encounter with Jesus. They don't recognize him yet, and here's what Jesus says to them. Luke 24, 19, he, Jesus, said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another? Why are you guys talking like this as you walk and are sad? Well, what were they talking about? Well, No doubt they're talking about the events that have just unfolded. Man, I can't believe they crucified it. And then did you hear? Did you hear this morning? They went to the grave and he's not there. What's going on? Their countenance is sad. Many of the followers after the resurrection, even though Jesus had risen from the dead, they hadn't personally experienced him yet, they were still in sadness. I find the response of, of fear. I find the response of sadness. I find the response of doubt. Doubt. Many of the followers of Jesus, they doubted. Now we, we know of one, if you've been in church for any length of time, there's somebody that he has recorded in history and his nickname is Doubting Thomas. How would you like that? Like in the records of history for doubting to be in front of your name. Like I don't know about you, but I don't want that. I don't wanna be recorded as Doubting Dennis and yet we refer to, I think we're gonna to get to heaven and Thomas is gonna be like, Really? you would have doubted too. Like, come on. We put him in this whole group by himself doubting Thomas and we think, oh, I never would have doubted. Did you know that Thomas was not the only one? It's recorded for us in John 20, 24, and 25. Yes, we read of Thomas, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, do you think that Thomas is so morbid that he's like, I just wanna touch, I wanna pierce his side. Do you think he's really dealing with that? No, I think he's just dealing with doubt, disbelief. But I want you to notice that many of the disciples doubted. As a matter of fact, when Jesus would appear to them, here's what happens. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had seen and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked, that's the ones to the road Emmaus, and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he, Jesus, notice what happens. He appears unto the eleven as they set at meat and he upbraids them. He gets on to them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Why? Because they believed, believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Hey, not only was it doubting Thomas, but it was doubting disciples. Like many of them were doubting. Man, Mary said he rose from the dead. The guys from Emmaus said that he rose from the dead, but we have not seen him. There's the response of fear. There's the response of sadness. There's that response of of doubt or skepticism. But then we see the response of those who just excuse. They excuse it away. They try to cover it up. They try to lie about it and say it doesn't happen. This is the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. If you were to go to Matthew 28, and we won't do it, but verse 11 down through verse number 14, or verse number 15 the, the uh, religious leaders are there with the guards. The guards come and they're like, hey, listen, here's what happened last night. And the religious leaders tell them, okay, wait, you can't tell people that you saw an angel and that he, wo- he walked out. You can't tell people that. So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna say that his disciples came by night and they stole him away and they did it while you slept. And then they said this, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. And so they, those guards, took the money and they did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Why were the Jews, why were the Sanhedrin so adamant about covering this up? Why were they so adamant about excusing it? Because the evidence was staring them in the face. And if they admitted that he rose from the the dead, do you know what they're admitting? That he is, in fact, the Messiah. That he is the Savior of the world. They would be admitting that they were wrong. They would be admitting that they had crucified the very Son of God. This means that Jesus is the final authority for life. It means that he is the one that was promised that they had been looking for. And yet, they wouldn't admit that, so they just excused it away. So before a personal experience, what do we see people doing? We see people living in fear, sadness, doubt, and excuse. But many of them had, after that, a personal experience. They personally met Jesus. They personally saw the resurrected Christ. And so what happened in their life? Well, for those who met him, fear became courage. A personal experience with Jesus allows fear to become courage. <clears throat> if you were to travel to the book of Acts, what you would find in Acts chapter number two, it would take place about four weeks, four and a half weeks, maybe five, following the events that we read toward the, uh, the end of, of John's gospel. About 40 days or so, 45 days. After the resurrection of Jesus, you know what you have taking place? The same disciples. Now remember, they were hiding for fear of the Jews. In Acts chapter two, you know what you find? You find them standing before Roman guards, the Sanhedrin, and all the people that had yelled out, crucify him. And here's what they're doing. Acts chapter number two, Peter's kind of the leader of it. Standing before all of those people that had crucified Jesus, And with courage, they say this, you're the ones who crucified him. Hey, Jesus is the Messiah. We have seen him with our own eyes. He has risen from the dead. He is who he says he is. And with courage, they begin to declare that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hey, why would somebody do that? Because they had had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Their fear became courage. Courage. There's a great book out there. It's called The Cold Case Christianity by an author by the name of J. Warner Wallace. Listen to what he says about the courage of the followers of Jesus and the early, early disciples. He says this The martyrdom of these original eyewitnesses is in a completely different category from the martyrdom of those who might follow them. If their claims were a lie, they would know it personally, unlike those who were martyred in the centuries that followed. While it's reasonable to believe that you and I might die for what we mistakenly thought was true, it is unreasonable to believe that these men died for what they definitely knew to be untrue. What's he saying? He's saying, do you know why they died for it? Because they knew it was true. Their fear was turned into courage. What else do we see taking place when someone has a personal experience with Christ while sadness becomes joy? hey, sadness becomes joy. And I love this one. If you were to go to the story, you would find Mary Magdalene coming. And at first we find her in sadness, but then we find her coming to the disciples with joy. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 28, that they left the grave after seeing the angel, those that knew that Jesus was alive, that they left with joy. They recognized and understood that he is God and that he is who he said he was. And no doubt, Their mind would go back to just a few short hours before this, a few days before this, when Jesus spoke these words in John 15, verse number 11, when he said, these things have I spoken unto you that you might have joy, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be made full. Do you wanna know why sadness can be turned into joy when you have a personal experience with Jesus? It's because you know he is the King of kings and Lord of lords and nothing is out of his control. We're going through our series on Sunday mornings. We took a break this week for it, but our series of hope in the midst of darkness or hope in darkness, understanding that in the dark seasons of life, we still can have hope. Why? Because Jesus is, in fact, the King of kings. There is nothing that catches him by surprise. Man, I say this often that God is not up in heaven looking at your life and going, oh, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Man, what am I gonna do with that? Oh, Anybody got any ideas? Gabriel, you got anything? Like, Jesus doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Why? Because he's God. He is in control. He knows. He sees. That is why you and I can have joy in the midst of a circumstance, because we know that he is king of kings, and he is in the control of my life. I can trust him. Fear becomes courage. Sadness becomes joy. I see doubt becoming assurance. I see doubt becoming assurance. You can go to the passage and you can find Thomas later, John chapter 20. Thomas experiences Jesus for himself. And you know what he says? He says, my Lord and my God. Hey, I know this is true. I completely believe in you. Now they have assurance. And this is the response of all those who came in contact with the resurrected Savior. Their doubt became assurance. No longer did they doubt him because they had seen him. They had personally experienced him. No longer did they sit and wonder at those things that they had heard. No, now they knew it was true. Now they weren't just hearing now they were listening. Now all the dots were being connected and no more would their time be consumed with all of the what if questions. Now they were assured that he is who he said he was. Can I say this morning that the reason, the reason that they, their response was able to change is because of their personal experience with Jesus And when you have a personal experience with Jesus, when you have a personal experience with understanding what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is, then I see finally today that you will understand that at the resurrection, death becomes life. The entire reason Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again is because he loves you And he wants you and I to have life through him. We are all separated from God because of our sin. We all deserve hell because of our sin. But when Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice, he died for our sin. And when he rose from the dead, he was doing that to prove he could be trusted and to prove that he has the power not only over death, but he has the power over every situation in your life. He said it this way to Nicodemus in John chapter three, verse number 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus might be saved. John would write in John chapter 20, I am writing what I'm writing so that you can personally experience, so that you can believe. And yes, today you and I, we are not going to experience what they experienced. What do you mean, pastor? We're not gonna conjure up something and Jesus gonna walk through that wall and personally, physically appear. No, Jesus recorded it for us. Did you know there's historians that even write To the proof and the evidence of Jesus, Josephus, a great Jewish historian. Thallus, a great Jewish historian. Tacitus, a Roman historian. And the names continue and the illustrations continue of people writing to the truth of who Jesus was. We use the scripture, the holy word of God. And do you know why they wrote this? They wrote it so you and I can have a personal experience. So my question today is, what is your response to the resurrection? What is your response to the resurrection? Do you know? Do you know and believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Have you believed him yourself? Oh, not because not church is your grandma's thing or your wife's thing or your husband's thing or your friend's thing. Not because you grew up in church, not because you were baptized, no, no, no. Have you personally put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ because the resurrection, Jesus did it so that your death could become life? He did it so you would have eternity in heaven. And so I ask you today, what is your response to the resurrection? What is your response to the resurrection? I close today with two thoughts. The first one is this. If you have received Christ as your Savior, I mean, you know him. There's been a time in your life where you put your faith and your trust in Christ Can I ask you a question? Are you living a life before the resurrection or after? What do you mean, pastor? Before the resurrection, they were in fear, they were in sadness, they were in doubt. After the resurrection, they were in courage, they were in joy, they were in assurance. Did you know that the resurrection is meant not only to change our eternity, but it is meant to change our everyday? And if you are here this morning, and you know Christ is your Savior, don't just celebrate the resurrection today. Tomorrow, you can have the same joy. Tomorrow, you can have the same victory. Tomorrow, he is still the King of Kings. Tomorrow, you can have the same assurance. And if you're here and you know Christ is your Savior, then today, make the decision, man, God, help me not to just celebrate Easter once a year. Help me to celebrate it every day because you are alive. But this morning, maybe you're here and you've never personally put your faith and trust in Christ. I would ask you that question. Have you received Jesus Christ into your life? Have you made it personal? Jesus wants you to make it personal. He wants to spend eternity with you. He has offered you complete forgiveness. He has offered you complete salvation, all based upon his death, burial, and resurrection, but he will not force you to receive that. That has to be a personal decision that you make. And if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, can I tell you today, there is no church, no pastor, no baptism. There is no religion that can get you to heaven. What gets you and I forgiveness from God, Paul said it this way, is when we confess with our mouth that we believe on him in our heart. I wanna ask you today, if you've never chosen Jesus for you, today needs to be that day. The resurrection was for you. He did it because he loves you.